we learn from quantum physics that all matter has a frequency, right? Well, emotions right. carry a frequency. And so fear is one of the lower frequency emotions, whereas love and appreciation are some of the higher frequency emotions. Well, fear originates in our amygdala. It's that part of the brain that's known as the hindbrain. The beautiful thing is that the HeartMath Institute, they have discovered that the magnetic field produced by our heart is a hundred times stronger than what's produced by our brain. So what that means is when we exude heartfelt emotions like love and gratitude, compassion, we literally can drive fear out of the room. And so this is how powerful gratitude is. You know, it can defeat the schemes of the enemy. Welcome back, everybody. And if you are new to this podcast, welcome for the very first time. All right. This podcast, it's different. It's different. It's different. It's different. It's different than any other podcast you're going to hear on the subject of betrayal recovery. Uh, Today, we have Dr. Laura Sanger. And um, I want to be careful not to preface too much of it, except for the fact um, it's meaty. It is spirit inspired. Um, It might challenge your faith. It is absolutely different than anything I've ever heard on the subject of recovering from betrayal. So, Chris, what did you think? (laughs) Well, I'm just... uh, uh, yeah, like I have no words. Um, I love Dr. Laura Sanger. I've heard her on other podcasts. I'll mention that when you when we get into the recording. But it is like the deepest dive of a, of digging into God's Word, connecting the dots, understanding so much. And and this woman is gifted. She's a gifted teacher. And she is a, a spiritual warrior, and she's an intercessor. She has an incredible connection with the Holy Spirit that is is a sight to behold. It is, she's just amazing. And I just Jesus has given her the keys, yeah, to unlock the prison gates for so many people. Mm-hmm. And and she's just doing what you know. She's passing on to us what God did for her, and yeah. she tells us about this in this recording. So. This is um, spiritual warfare. And so if you're fighting for your peace, for your joy, for your identity, if you're fighting for your marriage, if you're fighting to overcome um, the effects of, of betrayal, sin, you know, all the things, trauma, um, she gives us so much foundation and information to do just that, mm-hmm. to overcome. Yeah. Um, and she, she gives us, there's just so much. There's so much. This is so good. I know I will listen to this over and over again. Yeah, we're talking about generational iniquities. And it's something I've always struggled with, um, this concept of it. Um, and, and for those of you who also struggle with it, be prepared to have maybe some of your previous theologies challenged. But the Holy Spirit expanded. Yeah, yes, or mm-hmm. expanded. Great point. Um, 
she speaks truth. Yeah, absolutely. She speaks God's word. She's prolific in it. And, oh, ladies, you are in for a Bible study, deep dive, like put on your Indiana Jones hat and we're going, we're going <laughs> into the cave of wonders mm-hmm. with her. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that she talks about that isn't preached from the pulpit very often these days is something called Nephilim. And she she mentions it very um, briefly, and it's not the point or the subject of this podcast, but I, we, Jen and I did want to clarify a little bit of what, what she's referring to. So in Genesis 6-4, there is a very brief mention of Nephilim. And, uh, and so I just wanted to explain briefly what that's about. So in a nutshell, um, there, uh, Ezekiel talks about fallen angels. And in Genesis 6, 4, it says that these angels, the sons of God, which I've got air quotes going on right now. <laughs> that's another name for a direct creation of God. Adam was also referred to as a son of God. Mm-hmm. We are the son of man. We are... Um, we are, uh, we're, we're not created directly from God. We are offspring of his creation. So it talks about these sons of God, these fallen angels looking and seeing that the daughters of men were fair and they wanted families. They wanted to procreate. So they took human, um, women and as their wives and they, uh, mated with them and they had, they had offspring and that, um, the combination of the human DNA with the angelic DNA created this, um, what did she call it? A, um, uh, well, a, a, a something that God didn't intend. Um, <laughs> and I can't think of the word right now. It's blocking me, but it created a, uh, hybrid. That's the word I want, a hybrid. Um, and, and the intent of this was, uh, to defile our DNA. It's transhumanism. It was to stop the Messiah from coming. And Satan was trying to, Satan always counterfeits what God's doing. God created, and this is Satan's attempt at creation. Mm-hmm. And messing up God's plan in Genesis three fifteen, where uh, the first prophecy of Jesus, our Messiah coming to save us, is, is told. So that's what Nephilim is. It's, it's basically, it represents, it's, they, were, they were literal giants mm-hmm. that existed. Uh, and... It was Satan's attempt to destroy God's plan to save mankind from the effects of sin. So a little explanation there for yeah, you that's It's really helpful to understand a little bit. Again, it's not the focal point of the podcast itself, but it's a nugget of understanding that you can take with you going into this podcast. Be prepared to get ready to go to war for yourself and for your family After this Mm -hmm. podcast, Chris and I just dove into prayer, praying over each of our kids and praying over our husbands and really praying over you as well. So with that, Mm -hmm. enjoy this, this deep dive with Laura Singer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast. This is your place to reclaim your life after betrayal. I'm your host, Chris Rocha, here with my co-host, Jen Howie. Hi, Jen. Hi. I have never been more excited for a podcast than I have been for today. I get it. I'm right there with you. 
joy of the Lord is overflowing today, big time. Yeah. 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 So before we get started, um, I do want to briefly say, um, shine a little bit of a spotlight on uh, a ministry that supports this podcast, and that is Pure Life Alliance. And uh, we talk about this at the end of the show usually, but I wanted to bring it to the forefront because they have there's a big event coming up on February 24th where they're going to have a big conference for uh, for people struggling with addiction and people struggling with betrayal trauma and wanting to heal from those things. So um, Pure Life Alliance has groups for for the addict who is wanting to be set free. They have groups for women, the spouses who are struggling with betrayal trauma and wanting to heal from that. And they also have a group called Rekindled for couples who are wanting, who are working to restore their covenant marriage. And so um, we are grateful for Pure Life Alliance and all that they do and, uh, and very grateful for the support that they give this podcast. So yeah, yeah, you can look them up online and it's purelifealliance.org. Yeah. And Chris and I will actually be speaking at this event. So if you are in the Portland area, um, come by. Uh, We'd love to meet you. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Come see us at our booth. And this event is also virtual and will continue to be each year that they have this uh, exposed event. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, you can you can join us online as well. And with that, take it away, Jen. Okay, here we go. On the podcast today, we are joined by Dr. Laura Sanger. She is a clinical psychologist who graduated from the University of California, San Diego. She has an MA in theology and a PhD in clinical psychology from Fuller Theological Seminary. And when she was in practice, she specialized in mental illness, addictions, uh, personality disorders, and adolescent treatment. She's the author of an amazing book called The Roots of Federal Reserve, and she's also a prophetic intercessor, spiritual warrior. She is com- she is passionate about seeing people set free and reaching her full potential reaching their full potential yes and um and uh dr laura prayed with us before we started this podcast and that was one of the things that she prayed over you listener she Mm. prayed for freedom and uh in the generations and that you would be set free and reach your full potential she's passionate about this now i first heard about dr laura on my, I'm just going to be honest, it's my favorite podcast. And so uh, listeners, you're going to get to know me a little bit better. I am unabashedly unashamed to admit that I am a nerd. And, uh, <laughs> and one of my I, I love data mining. Um, on my strength finders test input was number one, I love doing deep dives, connecting dots. And so blurry creatures, hey, Nate and Luke, <laughs> is my favorite podcast. It is <clears throat> changed my faith. It has widened my view. It has helped scales to fall from my eyes yeah. and connect so many dots. And I'm grateful for them. And um, and I got to say, I mean, it's it's Derek Gilbert's pretty cool, Dr. Laura, but you are you have made such a profound impact on my faith. And so um, welcome mm-hmm. to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you both. Absolutely. So um, please, would you, so I'm so excited. Uh, Okay. 
listeners, when I reached out to Dr. Laura uh, via her email on her website, which she'll share with you at the end of our episode here, um, I loved her response when she said, yes, I would, I'd be, I'd love to be on your podcast and let me ask Jesus for the scrolls. Uh, when I asked her what she'd like to speak on. And I have used that phrase so many times now, but that is just beautiful. And it just really displays your faith in your heart. So Dr. Laura, please share with us what scrolls did Jesus give you for our listeners today? Well, I'm excited because um, what he gave me was really touching on what generational iniquity is, generational curses, the impact that it has on our lives. Um, I'll also share my own story of how I broke some generational iniquity and received miraculous healing uh, as a result of that. And then also just in my own life too, how gratitude has really transformed my life. And Mm -hmm. so I want to pass that on as well. Um, But I'm one of those people kind of like you, Chris, I, I've got this naturally inquisitive mind. So I am constantly digging and researching and I, you know, I've been doing some level of research, I think since 1989. Um, I was back then I was working at the department or for the VA um, hospital in La Jolla, California. And I was in the department of psychiatry doing research in the area of schizophrenia. And it, I just absolutely loved it. I was hooked. And so I've been doing some form of research ever since. And that's what has led me on this incredible journey. You know, when you say yes to the Lord, you have no idea (laughs) (laughs) where he's going to take you. And so it has been an exhilarating journey for me. So I appreciate you having me on your show. I I do want to say a couple of things just about the process of writing um, in case there's anyone out there that, you know, you feel these nudges from the Lord to step out and do something maybe you've never done before. Um, So I never intended to write a book on the federal reserve. I mean, I'm a psychologist. What do I know about monetary policy? Right? So why would I write a book on the federal reserve? But in 2014, the Lord, um, just kept nudging me to write what's called a spiritual mapping prayer brief on the federal reserve. Um, now are you, are you guys familiar at all with what spiritual mapping is? Only vaguely from what you've talked about on blurry creatures. Okay. Okay. So maybe I'll just give a, like a quick summary, um, because it actually ties into what I'm going to share. Um, beautiful with what we're going to talk about. So with spiritual mapping, essentially what we do is um, it it involves gathering research. So you would like it, Chris. It involves gathering research on the physical, the social, and the spiritual pulse of like a people group, a city, an institution, whatever it is the Lord has you focused on for that assignment. And it involves digging through history to uncover ancient roots of defilement. So there's three components to spiritual mapping. There's reconnaissance, there's research, and there's informed intercession. With reconnaissance, what we do is we'll send teams of people out onto the land to discern what's happened there. And some biblical examples of that is, you know, when Moses sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan or Joshua, when he sent the two spies into the land of Jericho. And then also, you know, Paul on his missionary journeys, when he would go into a city for the first time, he would walk around and get an idea of the spiritual dynamics. So that's what we're doing um, when we send teams of people out. And these people are generally gifted in the areas of discernment. 
So, you know, they are able to hear the voice of the Lord. They can see into the spiritual realm. They can even feel um, in their body things that have happened on the land. And so we'll take notes and then we pair that with a research component. So the research component involves digging through historical documents, obtaining demographic data, We'll interview local people and then even, you know, looking through old newspaper articles is incredibly helpful. So we take all that information and we pull it together and we write up what's called a spiritual mapping prayer brief. And it has targeted prayer strategies to inform our intercession, because what we want to do is we want to equip intercessors to be able to strike at the root of the issue. Now, what we've discovered is there's four types of iniquity that can establish a stronghold over a territory, and that is sexual perversion, idolatry, broken covenants, and bloodshed. And so we're ascertaining whether or not these things have happened on the land, because again, what we want to do is equip intercessors to be able to break off the curses, you know, uproot those wicked structures that have been established in the spiritual realm. We want to render the king's decrees, and then we want to release the full measure of blessing because really the ultimate goal of spiritual mapping is we want to lift that veil of darkness or oppression that's over a territory so that the people living there can um, clearly hear the gospel message and come into relationship with Jesus and see their lives transformed. So that's what spiritual mapping is. So Anyways, back to my story. In 2014, I um, wrote a spiritual mapping prayer brief on the Federal Reserve. You know, I had these targeted prayer strategies. I invited some intercessors and we prayed. And I, I really thought my assignment was done. I'm one of those intercessors where the Lord will give me assignments. And when it's done, I move on to whatever he has next. Well, over the next like year and a half, the Lord just kept nudging me that I wasn't done. So finally, in 2016, I picked it back up and I began researching and writing, but I didn't know what I was writing. I mean, it was becoming way too long for a mapping brief. And I kept asking the Lord. And finally, after about a year, he finally clued me in that he was having me write a book. And so I spent four years researching and writing it. And I have to tell you, I, you know, I wrote it in what I call real time, which means um, as I was writing it, I had no idea what lied ahead of me. I didn't know the twists and turns that the investigative journey would take. I had so many paradigm shifts, even in just writing it. I didn't know that it would get published. I thought, you know, maybe some intercessors in my family will read this. But the Lord showed me it was a new form of intercession for me. So I knew I was warring over our monetary system as I was writing. And that's really all I needed. So I, my constant prayer was Jeremiah 33, three, which says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Well, that definitely happened. So the research I did, it spans from the dawn of humanity to our current day. And as um, what I do is I identify this Nephilim agenda that has defiled our monetary system and practically every institution in our land. And so I trace that like I said, from the days of Noah to um, our current day. And one of the things, you know, once the book got published, I realized that the Lord was asking me to walk in Ephesians 5.11, which says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And so that's what I've been doing. I'm always grateful to come on new podcasts and speak with new audiences because I know what the Lord has asked me to do is awaken people to the spiritual battle that we're in. And this is where, 
you know, generational iniquity comes in because iniquity can establish strongholds, like I mentioned. And so um, I, I want people to understand that, um, first of all, what is generational iniquity? How does that link to curses? How can we break free from that, not only for our own lives, but for our children and our future generations? Um, so I'm just so excited to be on your podcast. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing intro. I'm on the edge of my seat. And I, I, oh, gosh, I'm so excited. Me too. So to hear what you're going to share. Dr. Yeah. Laura, how do we how do we break free from generational iniquity? So the first the first thing I think that's important is really to understand how does generational iniquity establish strongholds or even just iniquity and um so first of all, maybe helping people identify what's the difference between sin and iniquity, okay. because in scripture, oftentimes it's used interchangeably, but there is a subtle difference that I wow. want to point out. Um, Never heard of that. Never thought of that. Yeah. So iniquity essentially is a pattern of sin and it comes out of a place of having a depraved mind. You know, sin means to miss the mark, but iniquity Again, it comes out of a heart set on evil ambition. Now, one way we can think about sin is it's like the single strand of yarn. Well, iniquity is strand upon strand woven together to form this thick cord. And I'll give you some examples of iniquity. Now, certainly this is not exhaustive, but forms of addiction, for example. So sexual addictions, drug and alcohol addictions, forms of violence um, is iniquitous pattern. So that would be child abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, satanic ritual abuse, human trafficking, um, certainly forms of lawlessness or even deceptive business practices. Um, if that's a pattern, that's iniquity. And then, of course, the ones that I mentioned earlier, sexual perversion, idolatry, broken covenants and bloodshed. And so if these have happened um, in a community, what it does is it opens the door for the enemy to gain a foothold in that territory. If those iniquities are not dealt with uh, by identificational repentance, then the foothold can become a stronghold. Now in scripture, um, identificational repentance uh, is taught about or spoken about in Daniel 9, Nehemiah 1, Ezra 9, and Jeremiah 3. So what's important to understand about identificational repentance is it's not a prayer for the dead to be absolved of their responsibility for sin before God. It's also not vicarious repentance, as in standing in substitution for somebody. What identificational repentance is, is it releases the current generation from the consequences of sin from previous generations. And so Again, if the iniquity has not been dealt with through identificational repentance, then it can become a stronghold. Well, what a stronghold is, you can think of it like a net that entraps people. And we see this from the Hebrew word for stronghold is matsud, and it means net, capture, castle, defense, fortress, to be hunted, a snare, and a strong place. And one way to think about a stronghold is it's kind of like a fortified city. You know, if you think about Jericho as an example, Jericho had these impenetrable walls and that controlled the flow of who came and went from the city. Well, 
powers, rulers, authorities, spiritual forces of darkness, they look for ways to take territory and then take the people that live there into captivity. And so strongholds are strengthened through generational uh, corporate and personal iniquity. Now, there can be strongholds over cities, states, regions, and nations, but there can also be strongholds over our mind. And the strongholds that are over territories affect the people living there, whether they know it or not. And so what you see is people will develop strongholds in their thinking that are directly connected to the strongholds in the territory. So let me give you an example, um, a biblical example. So if you think about um, Israel's response to the 10 spies um, that Moses sent out, when the 10 spies come back, they report in Numbers 13, 28, they said, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. So Anak being the giants. So here we see, you know, in the report, it's filled with fear and intimidation. Well, that was the pervading attitude of the Canaanites. They had established a stronghold over their territory of fear and intimidation. So anyone that came onto their land came under that stronghold and it could affect their thinking. And that's what happened with the 10 spies. But Joshua and Caleb, they went onto the same land and they did not come under that stronghold. It didn't affect their thinking. And that's because they learned how to take every thought captive. They were able to be able to see the situation through the eyes of the Lord. And that's why um, they, Caleb said in Numbers 1330, he says, well, first he silences the people before Moses. And then he says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Now, another way to define stronghold, Tom White, he has a book called uh, The Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Mm. And I really like his definition. He says, it's an entrenched pattern of thought, ideology, or behavior that is contrary to the will of God. So a stronghold can develop in our thinking, and we should never underestimate the power of our thoughts. In fact, our thinking can alter our genetic expression, and that makes us susceptible to disease and illness. And Mm. so that's why it's so important that we perceive reality through the mind of Christ with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you know, our thinking is susceptible to being influenced by the lies of the enemy. Yeah. Well, it's common for us to develop these thought patterns and lifestyle choices that are formed by generational blessings and curses. Now, of course, we want the generational blessings to flow through us, but we can't overlook the curses. And most people are unaware of how generational iniquity actually activates curses. And that in Proverbs 26, 2, it says a curse without a cause does not alight. And so these bloodline curses, they have substantial ramifications on our physical, emotional and spiritual well-being. And that's why it's so important to understand how these generational iniquities and curses operate. I I had full body chills several (laughs) times while you were teaching, in fact, there was a little bit of a pause there because I just muted myself. So you could just go. That was so good. And listeners, I hope that you have a pen and paper and you're taking notes because I know I'm going to go back and listen to this and write all these down. Yeah, I started 
I've started taking notes. I'm like, no, no, I think this is going to be one that I'm going to sit and listen to over and over and over again, because here I am listening. I'm on the edge of my seat also, um, because anyone that knows my story knows that this is a big, big concern for me. And like, I'm just anxious to get to how do we reclaim our territory? How do we, how do we cancel the assignment and the curse and, and, and move land? Yeah. Right. And I, I'm sitting here just on my edge of my seat waiting to hear because I want to get to work today in this very moment to, um, to reclaim the generational curses that have been, you know, a given from our, from our family. I have mm-hmm. so many I questions, know. but I don't want to ask all the questions because I know you've got some great stuff coming for us. Yeah. I, I know that in my family line, um, adultery, um, you know, um, I'm thinking of that scripture that talks about the sin being passed down to four mm-hmm. generations. Uh, Dr. Laura, you are uh, a PhD and you're a, a psychologist and um, and all of these, you're very educated and I've, I've heard that... Um, when sin, epigenics, when sin happens, that it actually changes our DNA, the trauma of that mm-hmm. sin actually changes our DNA. And that, um, gosh, it, science is always aligning, you know, like proving the Bible to be true. What I've heard, and I've, I'd like to know if this is true, that it takes four generations to breed that out of the mm. family line to to actually uh, have that altered DNA be bred out of that family line from that specific trauma or sin. But um, I don't know if you have anything to offer on that, but yeah. Along I with hope not. Saying, <laughs> that's fascinating if that's true. I've not seen any research on that. Um, okay. But what happens, um, certainly if, if that generational iniquity is perpetuated in the next generation, it won't clear out within four generations. It will just keep going and going and going. And that's why um, I think what what will be helpful is I'll share a biblical story um, that shows us generational iniquity and then how to break it because it's, um, it's powerful. And again, you know, we're talking about how our thinking can um, really shift our DNA and change the patterns of our life and then future generations. Well, we will see this in the story of Esther. And so one thing to um, really just be aware of is when these strongholds are left unchecked, um, you know, they become hereditary factors and then that affects generations to come. And this is why it's so important, you know, that we understand this generational iniquity. So within the story of Esther, um, essentially it shows us that um, Haman had this deep seated hatred for Mordecai. And on the surface, you know, it seemed like it was because Mordecai refused to honor Haman. But the hatred actually runs much deeper than that. And this is where the generational iniquity, the concept of it ties in. So Haman was an Agagite and Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so who were the Agagites? The Agagites were descendants of King Agag, and he was king of the Amalekites during Saul's reign. Well, the Amalekites um, come from Esau. Amalek was Esau's grandson. So Esau had a son named Iliaphaz. Iliaphaz had a Horite concubine named Timnah. Timnah bore Iliaphaz's son and they named him Amalek. 
Now in scripture, the Horites are mentioned in Genesis 14 among a list of tribes of giants, but it's not thought that they themselves were a tribe of giants, but more that they intermingled with them, meaning they were spreading the Nephilim genes. So it's likely that Amalek had Nephilim genes. Now, what's interesting is his name means blood licker, as in someone who devours something and licks up the blood. Wow. Now, what we do know is that Amalek inherited the extreme hatred that Esau had towards Jacob. And so this strife among the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob just intensified throughout the generations, making the Amalekites one of Israel's worst enemies. So the Amalekites were actually the first foe to attack Israel when they left Egypt. And if we remember that story, the Egyptians handed the Israelites their wealth as they were leaving Egypt. Well, that caught the eye of the Amalekites. They wanted the plunder for themselves. And so they developed a strategy by which to attack Israel. And they, what they did is they separated those who straggled towards the back of the caravan. So this would have been the frail, the sick, and the young. And once they were separated from the caravan, they became easy prey for the Amalekites. So now years later, Saul um, is commanded by the Lord to completely destroy the Amalekites. And I'll read uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 3. It says, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a gift of mercy and I've always struggled with passages like this. Yes. Why are you killing the yes. infant and children? Yes. Even the right. animals. Why do you have to kill the animals? What right. did they do? Yes. And it wasn't until I understood this concept of haram. So the Hebrew word for the phrase utterly destroy is haram. And it means um, not only to completely destroy, it means exterminate or to devote for destruction. And so this term meant, you know, it reflected Yahweh's absolute disdain for particular acts of sin. And most of the time it was because there was a mixing of species. And so when God commanded Haram, it was punishment by total annihilation because that people group had defiled their genome by mixing with the hybrids. Um, and so most likely the animals also had to die because bestiality oh. was probably yeah. happening. Yes. So God commanded Saul to haram the Amalekites, probably for two reasons. You know, one, they were merciless in their attack of the burgeoning nation of Israel. But also, second, they were interbreeding. They were spreading the Nephilim genes. Now, here's where it becomes even more interesting. So Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, like Mordecai. And there's two things to note about Saul. One is that his father, Kish, was known as a mighty man or a mighty one or a Gabor. And second, Saul was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. Now, that word Gabor, it's the Hebrew word for mighty one, and it's often used um, to depict the giants. In fact, the first usage of that term in scripture is in Genesis 6, 4, speaking about the Nephilim. So here we have um, a possibility that within Saul's DNA was the genetic mutation of the hybrids. He had Nephilim genes. Wow. And so when God commanded Saul to annihilate the Amalekites, it was a test for Saul. 
who is he going to side with in this seed war? The seed wow. of Eve, which is humanity, or the seed of Satan, which is the hybrids and the Nephilim? Well, we see in 1 Samuel 15, 7 through 11, it says, Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Mm. So Saul chose to um, side with the seed of Satan, and that um, has substantial ramifications upon his bloodline. Well, Josephus, the, the famous Jewish historian, he actually tells us why Saul did this. Josephus says he also took Agag, the enemy's king, captive, the beauty and tallness of whose body he admired so much that he thought him worthy of preservation, giving way to human passions. He preferred the fine appearance of the enemy to the memory of what God had sent him to do. Wow. Ooh. God. So Saul did not walk in the fear of the Lord. Instead, he gave in to the whims of his fancy by preserving King Agag's life. In other words, Saul preserved someone with a defiled genome. And here's where we learn a really important concept about generational iniquity. That which we don't deal with as a seed, we'll have to deal with as a tree. Wow. So because Saul did not completely annihilate the Amalekites by preserving King Agag's life, his seed lived on. And Haman was a descendant of Agag. So when Saul chose to walk in disobedience to what the Lord had asked him to do, generations later, Esther and Mordecai had to deal with Haman. Now, back to the story of Esther, you know, Haman had convinced King Xerxes to issue a death decree that all the Jews would die on a certain day. And when Esther found out about that, she had a choice to make. And Mordecai made that choice very clear to her. And this is Esther 4, verse 13 through 14. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So would Esther seize this opportune moment that the Lord had positioned her for, or would she give in to fear? You know, it was no small decision because during that day in her culture to go before the king unannounced meant certain death. And so she risked her life to be a pathway of deliverance for her people. Well, when she confronted Haman's plot in front of King Xerxes, the king ordered Haman to hang on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And I love this story because it's a story of turnaround. Not only did Haman hang on the gallows he had built for Mordecai, but Haman's position in the royal court was given to Mordecai, as was Haman's estate. And then not only that, you know, the Jews were able to defend themselves when the people came to attack them. And the Jews had great triumph and prosperity because they were able to take the wealth of their attackers. So what Haman meant for destruction actually turned out to their benefit. And it really is, you know, 
an example of retribution for the years the Amalekites had plundered the Jews and plundered Israel. So what we learn from this is that Mordecai and Esther, they broke the generational iniquity off the tribe of Benjamin that was committed by Saul. So Saul, a Benjamite, he walked in the fear of man and he honored King Agag above God. But Mordecai, also from the tribe of Benjamin, he walked in the fear of the Lord and he refused to honor Haman before God. And so by walking in the opposite spirit, Mordecai broke the generational iniquity and cleansed his bloodline. Wow. So let me put this into layman's terms real simply. So generations before us can choose iniquity, those multiple cords and strands of continual sin and disobedience. But it just takes one person in that bloodline to, you know, tear down the Asherah poles, to take down the high places, to obey the Lord. It's the active obedience and faith and moving forward in God's will that then breaks that generational iniquity. Is that Yes, it only takes one person. And I'm going to share with you the steps that we can take in our family um, to cleanse our bloodline and to move forward and receive just the fullness of the generational blessings that we have. Because each family, there will be blessing and curses. And of course, we don't want the curses to continue. We want the blessings to flow. And I'm for... I'm fourth generation um, Christian in my family. My children are fifth and they walk in such blessing because of the generations. But I've had to do work on cutting off generational iniquity. So I'm going to share a little bit of my story, if that's okay with you. Please do. do. Yeah. Okay. Maybe actually before I do that, um, let me just kind of give a step-by-step of how we break generational iniquity, just to make it super simple for people. And then I'll um, give some biblical foundation and then tell my story. So the first thing we want to do is we want to confess, you know, confess the ways that we have perpetuated the generational iniquity. Then second, we want to renounce those things, which means we want to declare that we will no longer lay claim to that iniquity. And then we want to repent repent not only for ourselves, but like I said, that identificational repentance um, that I spoke about. So you're going to repent for the things that your forefathers did Hmm. and and break off those consequences so that you no longer are walking in those things. And then you want to walk in the opposite spirit, just like I shared with, um, with what Mordecai did. Now, if those generational iniquities have opened a door to demonic oppression or demonic affliction, you want to go through deliverance. And before I share my story, I kind of want to lay out a biblical um, groundwork for whether or not Christians can be oppressed or afflicted by demons. Oh, bring it. And this um, comes from Luke 13. And this is the story of the woman that's crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. Well, Jesus heals her on the Sabbath, and that just incensed the, the synagogue ruler. Well, in Jesus' response to the synagogue ruler, Jesus gives us a clue that Christians can actually experience demonic oppression. 
So Luke 13, 16 says, and this is Jesus. He says, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Now, the term daughters of Abraham or sons of Abraham is actually a term that denotes someone who is a follower of Christ. And we learn that from Galatians 3, 7 through 9, which says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, mm -hmm. the man of faith. So when Jesus uses this distinction or this designation of daughter of Abraham, when he's describing this woman, it's because he knows her heart. He knows that she believes he's the Messiah. It has nothing to do with her blood lineage as a Jew or as a um, daughter of Abraham in that regard. And in fact, Jesus makes this point even more clear in John 8, when he's confronting the Jews that want to kill him. And they call themselves children of Abraham. But Jesus corrected them by saying, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. Hmm. So Jesus identified them not as children of Abraham. He actually goes on in verse 44 and identifies them as sons of the devil. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Wow. So Jesus articulates that having Jewish blood does not make someone a child of Abraham. Rather, it's faith in God that gives someone that distinction. So here we have this daughter of Abraham. She's been afflicted by an evil spirit that has crippled her for 18 years when Jesus healed her. So essentially, Jesus evicted this spirit from her body. And in the process, she was completely healed. And I've experienced something similar in my life. So I, I want to um, just share my journey. Now, when I was first year in graduate school at Fuller Theological Seminary, I was an obsessive note taker. And because I had a lot of classes, I was taking a lot of notes, I developed uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. And so I went to the doctors and I had it checked. They gave me a wrist brace and they said, you know, if it doesn't get better, you'll probably need surgery. So I'm in class one day and I raise my hand to ask a question and the professor, Dr. Charles Kraft, he noticed that I had a wrist brace on my hand. And so um, he asked what, what was wrong and he asked if he could pray for me at the break. Well, I took him up on that. He prayed for me and I was miraculously healed. And this was my first miraculous healing I've ever experienced. My grandmother had many. But this was the first one for me. And so it made a huge impact on my life. And I decided whatever class this man is teaching that fits in my schedule, I'm going to take. And so <laughs> about a year or so later, he was teaching a class called Power Encounter. And um, I signed up for it, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And at that point in my walk with Jesus, I really didn't have a concept or a paradigm that Christians could be oppressed hmm. or afflicted with demons. In yeah. fact, I barely even knew what demons were. I had read This Present Darkness by yeah. Frank Peretti, and that was the extent of my understanding. <laughs> yeah. um, which, by the way, that's a great entry book for people. Um, yeah, read. So, yeah. Good. so 
I'm in this class and um, as part of the class, there are there's a requirement that we attend three ministry sessions. So being the conscientious student that I was, you know, I went to the very first ministry session and it was like a two hour uh, time period. And what they did is they would just ask students who would like prayer. They'd raise their hand and then we'd break it into groups. And uh, Dr. Charles Kraft had a ministry team people go to each group. Well, I decided I wanted to listen in and go to the group where Dr. Kraft was because I wanted to learn from the best. So I go to his group and the person that they're praying for is a man who he's a believer. He's at Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, but in his teenage years, he was involved in Demole, which is the Freemasonry um, young men's group. Oh. Well, um, because of that, uh, there were some spiritual dynamics at play in his life. Well, when Dr. Kraft began ministering, the first thing that he did is he prayed and he forbid any theatrics Ooh. and any violence from these foul spirits. Mm. And then he began um, interviewing the this um, student. And, and also once he realized that there was a spirit of death that was afflicting this man, he began talking um, straight to that spirit and asking that spirit questions. And so what he asked mm -hmm. the spirit of, of death, he said, where was, where were you when Jesus died on the cross? <laughs> well, what happened is now I'm sitting front row for this. The man's head flung back mm -hmm. and his eyes rolled back. I saw the whites of his eyes. And then this guttural laugh came forth. And I imagine my eyes at that time were probably <laughs> as big as saucers. Right. So, <clears throat> just as, you know, this, this spirit of death was reveling in the memory of Jesus taking his last breath, Dr. Kraft said, what happened three days later? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And wow. that, if looks could kill, that spirit <laughs> gave Dr. Kraft the most wicked look. Yeah. And if Dr. Kraft had not bound up, violence, I would, mm. I imagine we all would have been torn to shreds because, mm. um, by asking that spirit, what happened three days later, Dr. Kraft reminded that spirit of death, it failed at its assignment. Yes. It could not keep Jesus in the grave. Mm -hmm. Death did yeah. not have victory Amen. over Jesus. And so he took authority over that spirit, rebuked it and cast it out of that guy. Well, wow. I'm watching all this thinking, <laughs> Lord, what just happened? I have no paradigm for this. Mm -hmm. So then the following week, I go to the next ministry session, and this is a setup by the Holy Spirit. Um, so they Were Dr. you apprehensive Kraft, or were you excited to go to the next session? I was a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. what is going to happen next? Yeah. <laughs> So they're asking um, students, you know, who needs prayer? And I'm thinking to myself, I would never no ask way. for prayer. <laughs> and then my hand goes up. Oh, my goodness. And it was as if my hand was in direct rebellion to my, my will. And before oh. I got my hand down, they picked me. Yeah. And now I'm thinking, oh. what in the world am I asking prayer for? I have no idea what I'm asking prayer for. Oh. And I thought, well, my wrist was healed last time he prayed for me, miraculously, I've been in a car accident, my back hurts, maybe 
I'll ask for healing for my back. So we, we broke into groups and um, some of his associates, ministry associates um, prayed for me. And there was a group of students and what they do is they just, they ask you questions to kind of get a feel for what maybe you've been struggling with in life. Well, so Fuller Theological Seminary is in Los Angeles County. It's in Pasadena. And um, our first year living there, um, I was living in Altadena and there's a park right down the street from our house, Farnsworth Park. And I remember studying one day and hearing gunshots. And there was a man that was killed at the end of my street um, at a park where I normally frequent. And I had to drive past the blood stains on the road for several uh, weeks. That made a huge impact on me. That same year, the Rodney King riots broke out um, in Altadena and Pasadena and then L.A. County. And it was absolute mayhem. So that began stirring this fear of dying in me. And I began having daymares. And so oh, I mm-hmm. told the, the ministry team that, you know, I began seeing vivid imagery of myself being raped and Ooh. then dismembered. And it was brutal and it was increasing in frequency. Well, when I told them that they, they realized this is spiritual in nature and they discovered that through discernment that I had a spirit of fear of dying or fear of death in me. And so they began asking the spirit questions and they asked it, what age did you enter her? Mm -hmm. And it said age six. Mm. Now I am dumbfounded. I have no clue what happened at age six. And I was not okay with this spirit speaking through my vocal cords. I was quite a bit freaked out by that. Were you aware? I mean, clearly you must have been to some degree. Yes, I was aware. And I, it asked, they asked a question that I did not know. And this spirit answered. Yeah. And that I was like, I, again, I have no paradigm for this. I don't know what's going on. Um, But then they began to pray and rebuke and command that spirit to leave. But then all of a sudden, my heart started burning and I freaked out. I told them to stop. I literally could feel the talons of this demon squeezing into my heart. Um, But they thankfully, they were very trained and they knew what to do. And they just took authority in the name of Jesus over the, that spirit. And they rebuked it and commanded it to go. And I was set free. I felt mm. this tremendous sense of relief. Well, as I drove home that, that night, I faced the biggest trigger that normally would send me into a spiral of being afraid of dying. And that was a helicopter with a searchlight. Mm. And it was flying over my apartment complex. Now, in LA County, helicopters with searchlights are not giving tourists rides. <laughs> they are searching for criminals. Yeah. And so I knew I was faced with a choice. Am I going to trust Jesus for protection or am I going to give in to fear all over again? And so I declared out loud, Jesus, I trust in you for my protection and I will not give in to fear. Mm. Well, I've come to realize that that was a critical moment for me. It sealed my freedom. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of months later, um, it turns out I, I was talking with my mom, telling her what had happened, asking her what happened at age six. 
And we realized that my great grandmother had died. I was very close with her and I went to her open casket funeral and it really freaked me out. Now I had already given my life to Jesus at that point, And that stinking demon came into my life because in my generational line is that sin or curse iniquity of fear and worry. And so it flows through the generational line. I stepped into that by being afraid of seeing my great grandmother lying there dead. And that demon took advantage of that open door and afflicted me for 19 years. Mm. So the other thing that happened after I got deliverance is I happened to have um, an appointment with a new doctor. Now, every new doctor I had seen from the age of six on would tell me that I had a heart murmur. And so I went to see this new doctor. She was listening to my heart and she didn't say anything. And so I said, wait a second. Um, I've been told I have a heart murmur. Can you hear anything? And she listened intently and there was no heart murmur. I was completely healed when that spirit of fear of death left. Hallelujah. And so just like the woman in Luke 13, who was crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years, I had a heart murmur because that spirit of fear of death was squeezing my heart. Mm -hmm. I had irregular heartbeats, all of that kind of stuff. And when I got delivered from that, I got miraculously healed. And so I love telling that story because the Holy Spirit was so good to orchestrate my yes. healing. I didn't even know I needed yes. healing. Oh, I didn't again. know I needed deliverance, yeah. but he is so good. What to a do good that. God. Oh my word. You know, that just, I just wrote down a question. How can we know if we're being oppressed because we don't know what we don't know? And you kind of just answered that by saying that the Lord orchestrated this for you. But how can we know if we need deliverance, if we've got something oppressing us? through the generations because we live with these things and it just becomes normal. It becomes, you know, this is what real life is. I think the first place to start is ask the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to show you. Um, He's the teacher of all things and he will make it clear. If people have, um, you know, that iniquity that I've talked about where you can see a pattern in your generations, what happens Mm -hmm. is curses then get established And those curses are essentially open doors to demonic activity in your life. And so if there are open doors, you just want to make sure you're going to close all those doors. I've heard it said, in fact, I think it was, could have been Dr. Kraft's books. He's got some great books um, that your audience can read. I think it is. Um, He talks about how demons are like rats. They feed on garbage. So if we have garbage in our lives that is unresolved issues that we've not dealt with, most likely we have um, demonic oppression or affliction. Now, it's not to say every physical ailment has a demon behind it. Um, You know, we we need to use discernment. Um, But certainly if there are things like, um, you know, you just can't seem to break free from something. It's like you've tried everything. You've renewed your mind. You've done all these things. It could be that the the final thing you need is deliverance because there's a spirit that's hanging on. And they they only can hang on if there's a reason. A curse without a cause cannot alight. So Mm. there's got to be a reason in your bloodline somewhere. 
And that's when you ask the Holy Spirit. You have people that, you know, are intercessors that operate in areas of discernment, have them pray along with you as well. Now, you've you've said a couple of things here at, with the with these deliverance experiences. Um, I don't want to say that they were kind of one and done experiences, but have you found that 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 often isn't one and done that you have to keep going back to court and 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 to yes. really have that freedom well we're we're like onions <laughs> <laughs> and you know i so i was set free from that spirit of fear of death i also i don't talk about this too but i was i got a two for one no i got a three <laughs> for one I, I was healed of heart murmur, set free from spirit of fear of death. I also had a spirit of fear of failure mm. oh. um, that I also was dealing with. And I got set free from that as well. Mm. Well, years later, when I went through, um, actually, I'll talk about it um, because it ties into how gratitude transformed mm. my life. So I'm going to hold that thought and I'm going to. I'm going to keep you all on the edge of your seats come <laughs> oh back boy. to it because okay. I really, um, this is what I really felt like the Lord wanted me to communicate is how gratitude can transform us. And it did me and it all ties in. So what gratitude does is it takes us in, into the Lord's presence, you know, Psalm 100 verse four we learn that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. And so a thankful heart brings us into proximity to the most high. Well, one of life's great secrets is that contentment in every situation destroys the works of the devil. And I remember a few years ago, um, I watched this video, it went viral, and it was of a man sitting in his house after a tornado had ripped through and torn the roof off and brought destruction. And he was sitting in his, his living room, there's no roof above him, and he's playing the piano and he's singing. And he's singing the song, There's Something About That Name by Bill and uh, Gloria Gaither. And the words of that song, you know, it gives us an indication of why he would choose to play that song in the midst of his crisis. And I'll just read the words. It says, Jesus, 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 there's something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus. It's like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let heaven and earth proclaim Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. There is something about that name. Well, in watching that video, it seems that this man had learned the secret of being content in any situation. And those that watched the video, I really believe they were given a gift that transcends words. And it was a gift that touched the depth of my soul because you know, we too can learn the secret of being content in any situation. And the secret is a heart filled with gratitude. See, this man had just gone through a crisis, but he was grateful, even though his home was destroyed, his, his family was not. And here's where it ties into my story. So when I was facing probably the most difficult crisis of my life, I did okay for the first 10 days, um, but my character buckled under the weight of pain, uh, under uncertainty and the trauma of what I went through. So in 2008, 
our 10 month old son at the time, he experienced kidney failure and failure to thrive. And we nearly lost him on several different occasions. We had an emergency hospitalization. He received, he had to have surgery and then a bunch of different um, treatment protocols. And he was discharged on a feeding tube. And that began kind of this long road uh, to recovery. And again, you know, it was very difficult. And there were times I remember day after day, waking up with this uncertainty, am I going to find my son dead or alive in his crib? And I would never wish that on my worst enemy because um, it really messed with my head and it caused me to tank. And so for about a year and a half, I went through a dark night of the soul because, you know, fear of my son dying, it gripped my life. And unfortunately it created an open door for the enemy to afflict me. So this is again, where we're like onions and I got set free in the past, but now my son, I don't know if he's going to live or die. And I'm living with that uncertainty and I open a door back up. Well, I received, um, deliverance again through a different spirit. This one was spirit of control. And that spirit I got set free from, no one prayed for me. I was in the midst of corporate worship and I heard a, a literal snap, like someone snapped some wood over my, like over my thigh. And I looked around to see if anyone had heard that sound and no, no one like had any sort of response. And I think it was just me that heard it. And I was, I asked the Lord, I was like, what was that? And he said, you just got set free from that spirit of control. And so what led me to that freedom was I'll never forget the moment where I began to climb out of the pit of despair that I was in. And I was driving my older kids um, to elementary school. Uh, my All three kids are in the car. And I'm, I'm just kind of rehearsing in my head over and over the misery that I'm in. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, will you just be thankful? And it literally arrested my toxic thinking. And I thought, thankful? Like, I don't even know where to start. All I could see was the pain. But I decided just to start with the basics because I was driving a car. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful I have gas in my car. I'm, I'm thankful I'm driving on paved roads. You know, it wasn't earth shattering. It was just simple but yet it was the seedling of a new beginning. See, the Lord set me on course to learn the secret of what it means to be content in any situation. Nothing had changed about my circumstances. My son was still fighting for his life. Um, we had a mountain of medical debt. My husband's salary was reduced and I had lost friends in the process. But what changed is that I began to realize that gratitude was the ladder that I could use to climb out of the pit of despair that I was in. And so thankfulness, what it did is it, it literally took up residence in my neural pathways and it squeezed out fear and complaint. So my mind was being renewed. And I learned this valuable lesson that fear, it's a gateway that the enemy uses to create torment in our lives. And, you know, I, I talk about this in other circles as well, but, you know, we learn from quantum physics that all matter has a frequency, right? Well, emotions right. carry a frequency. 
And so fear is one of the lower frequency emotions, whereas love and appreciation are some of the higher frequency emotions. Well, fear originates in our amygdala. It's that part of the brain that's known as the hindbrain. The beautiful thing is that the HeartMath Institute, they have discovered that the magnetic field produced by our heart is 100 times stronger than what's produced by our brain. So what that means is when we exude heartfelt emotions like love and gratitude, compassion, we literally can drive fear out of the room. And so this is how powerful gratitude is. You know, it can defeat the schemes of the enemy. And I don't know if any of your listeners um, are in that place where they feel like they need to renew their mind. I mean, I think we need to renew our mind every day. But maybe there's people who are in this desperate place of knowing they need to renew their minds because maybe they've experienced recent loss, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a job, the loss of a spouse or the loss loss of of a loved one. Yeah, loss Loss of trust. trust. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because what can happen is loss has a way of threatening to rip a hole in the canvas of life. You know, when a significant loss happens, it can affect how we see everything, you know, we, our, our vision, our perspective can be skewed by lack, by pain, by absence, by brokenness. But I just want to encourage people that, you know, there is hope. Our living hope is Jesus Christ. And he calls us by name. He wants to take us into a place of renewal and restoration. And one of the, um, books that really has encouraged me over the years and Vascomp. Um, she wrote a book called 1000 gifts mm-hmm. and she writes this. she says, gratitude isn't merely the way we feel some of the time. Gratitude is the way we frame all of our lives. And I love that. Amen. Because for me, gratitude, it actually renewed my mind. You know, it rescued me from the edge of the precipice. I was slipping into the depths of a dark depression But thankfulness was my life preserver. You know, when I allowed myself to be thankful, it was hard to entertain anger and despair and self-pity. So along my journey, what I discovered, I discovered the secret. You know, when you can count your blessings, the emptiness of life dissipates. And before long, you know, you're filled with this life that is full of abundant joy because joy isn't circumstantial. Joy is the wellspring of life. And I think about joy, you know, it's it's knowing the goodness of God that he holds you close, even in the midst of the storms. And so joy is, you know, it's seeing deeply. It's looking beyond our circumstances to see how beautiful life itself is. So mm-hmm. I wanted to just leave that with your listeners. I love that. I it it takes it can take a little while to get there. Some part of it is an act of obedience like you did in the car mm-hmm. that day mm-hmm. before you actually start to experience that deeper residing because you're going to war. When we're being thankful, we're not we're not just throwing up little sprinkles up into the air. We're going to war with gratitude. Absolutely. Um mm-hmm. so it's not always immediate, but it does prove to be effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about that anxiety and gratitude come from the same place in our brains and they can't coexist. It's an either or situation. So when we choose that, that active, obe- 
act of obedience, it makes me think of, you know, enter his his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That sounds like a commandment, not a suggestion. Right. Um, yeah, that when we obey and we do that um, and we focus on gratitude and thanksgiving, it banishes anxiety and depression, as you were saying, Dr. Laura, because those two things cannot coexist at the same time in our minds. So mm-hmm. it behooves us to focus on those things. And God, you're right, Dr. Laura, um, so many times in the scripture, that theme is repeated over and over and over again. And and we need to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. This has been incredible Bible study, uh, life-changing information, so many dots connected. Uh, the nerd in me is throwing confetti, and <laughs> my pom-poms are just going, I will listen to this over and over again and take copious notes. So amazing. And, yeah. and I love how you put that bow of gratitude at the end because our listeners are women primarily who are dealing with betrayal trauma. There's been sexual iniquity. Um, there's been unwanted sexual behavior in their marriage, infidelity, pornography, addiction, et cetera. And, and these, these women most of the times didn't see it coming. And it's completely, like you said, Jen, just ripped a hole in their reality. And they're grieving so many losses, loss of life as they knew it, um, the, the breaking of vows in their marriage covenant, um, and loss of trust, et cetera. And they're looking for hope. They're looking for a way out to to have that fullness of joy. And you've just given us that roadmap. Thank you yeah. so mm-hmm. sincerely much. I also want to just make a brief mention that we're not talking about spiritual by- bypass here today. Amen. We're talking mm-hmm. about we're talking about engaging with Jesus in your healing process to do the hard work, to go to battle, to fight for the renewing of your mind. Um, the Lord has given us uh, the ability to do this through his Holy Spirit. And so um, so for, for those that might misconstrue anything here that goes along the lines of, oh, just pray harder, just be happy. We're not, talki- we're not talking about slapping a pretty bow on top of something that is incredibly painful. We're talking about digging in and diving in. Faith. Right. And that's where the Lord meets us. He's like, oh, I've got something for you. And here, here's one of the tools, gratitude. Here's one of the tools. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not talking about slapping on a fake smile. We're talking about meeting the Lord um, or the Lord meeting us in our pain and how he will carry us out mm-hmm. of there. And we're talking about our birthright and our authority and our identity mm. in Christ. It's real. And Satan loves to fool us, uh, dim our light. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor. He's just got us so clouded over. Yeah. Like I said, we don't know what we don't know. And God is inviting us into a place where he is going to reveal our birthright, the authority we have, the mm-hmm. identity he's given us. We are purposed, planned, gifted, equipped. We're here to do a work. Mm-hmm. And Satan is doing everything he can to keep us from doing that, from getting back in that fight. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Laura, you and I you were emailing about that a bit. And um, you've just given us, like you said, the secret, the key is gratitude and and obedience. So yeah, good, good conversation. Ha- totally. So many more questions. I wish we just had the, like this open Q&A. And I know that we've come up on our time here today. Um, one of the questions that I have, and maybe in a future podcast, maybe someday, is about being a, about praying over our children and their spiritual journey and um, 
Mm-hmm. And and the effectiveness, you know, how does prayer affect mm-hmm. others? What does intercessory prayer look like? Um, mm-hmm. Is it real? Yeah. Does mm-hmm. it work? So on that <laughs> note, would you be willing to come back <laughs> oh, again No pressure, <laughs> Dr. Laura? I'll tell you, um, I'll give you a nugget uh, that the Lord told me. I'll pass on. So um, okay. a couple years back, uh, one of my sons, my middle son, um, you know, mid-teenager, years doing stuff that I'm like, Oh Lord, what is he doing? And I remember praying for him and the Lord said, your prayers are more powerful than his foolishness. And so, um, prayer Ah. is very effective. And I began praying Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, just declaring it over him. If you read it in the amplified, it is so powerful. And I literally saw a shift in him Mm. and he is in such a good place with the Lord. Same with my daughter just recently, um, you know, she was struggling with some things and I just began praying Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. It's not a formula, but the word of God does not return void. Mm -hmm. And so you, you choose those scriptures that the Lord leads you to. And with literally within a week, there was a shift. Um, And so I just, prayer is so powerful and it is much needed over our children. Oh, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Runs to grab her Bible, runs to yes, go down the hall yes. and pray over her son. And That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. Well, Dr. Laura, thank you so much. I, I don't have words to express how amazing this was, how incredible, and um, I'm looking forward to prayerfully digging deeper into this as I listen to this again. And so thank you for joining us sincerely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you listeners for tuning in and being a part of our podcast community. Your support is valuable and we are here to serve you. In fact, we'd love to hear from you and you can reach us at the BRT podcast at gmail.com. If you have suggestions or guests you'd like us to invite, or even just want to connect with Jen and I, we would love to hear from you. So please remember that healing is a journey, not a destination. And as we navigate the path of recovery and transformation, and that's the key word there, together, (laughs) know you are never alone. Stay strong, stay hopeful, and keep working towards your brighter, empowered future. And before we go, Dr. Laura's got one final thought to share. Just to share where people can reach me. Oh, um, yes, please want to reach out. So my website is called no longer enslaved.com. And that's probably the best place for people to start. Um, and then I have monthly articles, people can um, reach out if they need prayer on my website. Also, uh, if people want to follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram and telegram under Laura Sanger 444 Hertz. And then I also have a YouTube channel called No Longer Enslaved, Rumble as well under that. Mm. And I have a 10-part series called The Impact of the Nephilim Agenda Today. Mm. I also talk about frequencies, um, the significance of 444 hertz. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also have a seven-part series on spiritual mapping called Transformation Through Spiritual Mapping. So if people want to dig in more, they can. My book... um, is it also available in Audible? I narrated it, um, which was no easy task. Oh, but I, um, I narrated it, and it's about to come out in Spanish. I'm so excited. It is in, like, the final stages with my publisher. Did so. you narrate so, that one, too? No, I did not. 
you would not want me to narrate. My son, though, is fluent in Spanish, so he could narrate it. There you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was just, yep. Um, thank you for, for jumping in there and because uh, I definitely want our listeners to be able to get a hold of you and connect with you. I'm really curious about that spiritual mapping uh, course that you have. Is yeah. that on YouTube specifically? Yes. Yeah, right. it is. Excellent. Yes. Okay. All right, ladies, such a great conversation. Yeah. Well, such a great teaching uh, session, honestly. And thank you again. So everybody will see you back here soon. And uh, Dr. Laura, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast with your hosts, Chris Rocha and Jen Howie. We hope you've been helped and encouraged. If you value the content we shared today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps others find the show. Need personalized guidance? Please contact Chris or Jen for transformative coaching. This episode has been brought to you by HealingWithTheHowies.com, WatermarkCoach.com, and with the support of Pure Life Alliance Ministries.